Let me pray for us. God, we come and we do ask that you would impart your ancient words to us, the words that are ever true, ever faithful. They are a um, perfect reflection of your heart to us. And so we want to come to your word. We want to be hungry for your word and thirst for your word. And we are so thankful that you teach us and you speak to us. And so we come now and we ask for your help to open our ears and open our eyes to see and open our hearts to receive and obey. And we uh, are so thankful that we have this time that we can gather and just dedicate um, just a portion of our lives to hearing uh, and singing with one another your great praises and and your worth. And uh, we also sing your worth as we listen uh, to your word. And so uh, we want to do that now. Uh, We ask that you receive honor and glory from our time, uh, even as we listen now. In Christ's name, amen. You know, the concept of... Uh, things being clean or unclean is really foreign to us, isn't it? This is not a discussion of a, a teenage boy's t-shirt he's been wearing for three days. That's not the discussion of clean or unclean or the pile of dishes beside your sink. That's not the discussion. You know, if you've read the Bible at all, in any of the Old Testament specifically, you would know uh, the idea, the concept of clean and unclean is vitally important to the Old Testament uh, Israelite people. Um, And and thus, it is important to Paul, the guy who wrote uh, the book of Romans, where we will be today in Romans chapter 14. We're going to see this discussion of this term unclean and clean. And knowing where Paul has come from as a lifelong, dedicated Jewish person who knows these laws inside and out, who would have breathed these laws about what is clean and unclean, we we have to understand what it means. They, in their mind, it's, it's about morality. What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? And we also have to understand, as much as we don't live in that time, we don't live in the Jewish heritage, you and I still have this in our own hearts. You have a gauge which tells you if something is clean or unclean, if it's acceptable or unacceptable. Your heart has that, whether you think it or not. You might read the Old Testament and think, wow, that is crazy. Or you might even look at a, a modern-day Orthodox Jew who still follows to rules concerning their dishes and different kitchens in their home. And you might think, that is Uh, above and beyond where you need to be but at the same time you have that same little switch in your heart that says clean or unclean moral immoral right or wrong paul's teaching of this in romans chapter 14 in the context is um, you have to check that as to the foundation of it where it's come from but then the implication of it how does it impact other people especially if it is not a black and white clear-cut sin or, um, or obedience issue. If it's a, an issue where it's a decided upon an opinion, Paul says, be careful. Because in Romans 14, we know the context here is these two different types of people, uh, both Christians. One who says, I still have to abide by food laws. I still have to abide by, you know, the ceremonial days and, and festivals. I have to do that to honor God. And the other person says, no, you don't. We are free in Jesus to worship on a Wednesday. We are free to eat as much bacon as we want. There's these two different groups of people, and both are right in their own convictions, according to their own check of clean or unclean in their heart. And so the, the, the discussion that Paul's going to have is very 
interesting, knowing his background and knowing where he stands in Christ and when it comes to Christian liberty and freedom, he thinks all are free. But yet, he argues that you must not use that freedom to ever hurt another person or their conscience even. So sometimes you have to give up your freedoms and what you think is right, you just refuse to do for the sake of someone else. We have these categories of clean or unclean, right or wrong in our mind. We must discover the point. I want to read for us from Romans chapter 14, and uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 13 uh, through 20, just for a little bit of context, and look at two verses today. Romans 14, starting at verse 13, this is God's word. Here what he says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as of evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. This is God's word. Amazing discussion as you like are framed to even be looking and thinking like what is Paul saying about clean or unclean? As we read that text and you read kind of his heart around your interactions with other people, even in your opinion. Even in what you think is right and good and moral and acceptable You have to put it in check with not just is it right, but is it right for others too? And is it right that I partake in the presence of certain others? It's really an interesting discussion he has here. Looking at verse 14 there specifically, it begins by saying, he says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. I know and I am persuaded What's so interesting about our opinions sometimes is we are persuaded, we are convinced. But from what? Paul here, in the language he uses, is um, really kind of a, uh, this persuasion is not self-originating. This is not something that would just weld up in me. I am convinced, I am persuaded from outside of me. This is not just about what I feel. This is not just about what I like or what I want. It's not about uh, just what's most comfortable for me or what's most natural for me. He says, it's not the easiest thing and it's not the most socially acceptable thing. I have been convinced against all of my upbringing, Paul says, all that he held and knew to be true and right and good, everything he knew his entire life, he's now convinced in a different way. He's persuaded a different way. Something greater than his family history. Something greater than political correctness. Something greater than personal comfort has convinced him. And he says it is the Lord Jesus. I know, I know, and I am persuaded 
in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Uh, Paul is convinced by Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to look at the specific example, which I think he, he might be thinking of one example he could be thinking of in Jesus' life uh, and ministry that uh, is explicit in this um, topic. But also you think about in Christ, what does he have? But Paul is the number one proponent of freedom. Freedom and freedom from the law and freedom from the ceremonial laws and all the do's and don't do's. Paul knows what the grace of God means. And so he's convinced not just by a teaching that Jesus taught, He's convinced by what Jesus accomplished. Jesus accomplished freedom. And how did he do it? Well, we know through the cross and through living a perfectly righteous life, obeying himself all of the rules about clean and unclean. All of them. Living it perfectly righteous and not just externally, but from the heart. He did it all, not without grumbling or complaining. He did it all in a right way, the right time for the right reason. So Jesus was perfectly righteous because that's the thing, right? Even if a person, even if the Pharisees in the New Testament are right in their practice, their heart might be absolutely rotten, right? They might just be doing it to be seen or to get a pat on the back. They might just be doing it to spite others. They might just be doing it to get ahead in society. You know, when Dwayne and I were in Haiti, uh, we were told that it is a, uh, an honorable thing to be a pastor. Everyone just wants to be a pastor. And uh, just because people honor them. Um, and they know also North Americans just funnel so much money to pastors there. <laughs> so everyone's a pastor, right? We go to the airport security and guess how many pastors we met who worked at the airport? Oh yeah, I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor. Every person we met was a pastor because they wanted me to say, oh, you're a pastor, oh, you need some support, you need some support. That's what they knew that the white North American person does, give money to the pastor. They wanted the honor, and so they were going to be whatever they needed to be in order to get that honor. So they, were, they would say all the right things, and yes, this is what I do, and this is what I don't do. It's kind of like the Pharisees. They just wanted to be... Uh, clapped by everybody as they walk by and say, oh, wow, you're a Pharisee. Oh, you're a scribe. Oh, you're a priest. You're amazing. It's a sad thing, but they had the wrong motivation in even possibly doing the right thing. But that was not Jesus. Jesus had the right motivation, the right way all the time. He lived perfectly righteous because you and I couldn't. And then he stood in, in our place before God, righteous. He said, let's just exchange accounts. My perfect righteousness, all the perfect motive, all the perfect keeping of the law to the T, it's counted as yours. And all of your filth and all of your sin and all of your wrong motivations and your, your sinful actions, your spitting in God's face, all of your disregarding of God, I'll take it on myself. Jesus exchanged that. And on the cross, he died as that criminal, as the one who filthy before God, offensive and grotesque before God. And God's anger towards your sin was poured out on him. So that in him, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 21, I think, is uh, in him we became, he who be, knew no sin became sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That great exchange of his righteousness on us, our sinfulness on him. So now when we stand before the throne of God, complete it's in Christ. And so that could be part of what, what Paul is alluding to here when he says, I'm persuaded in Jesus, knowing all that Jesus has done, all that he has accomplished, all that I have in him, 
I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean because Christ has already fulfilled the law for me. And so we're going to look at the example in a little bit of what I think also where Jesus spoke about this very topic. But he's convinced of uh, his opinions and traditions now have shaped the way he's living. Uh, and then that's the same for you and me. Our, our opinions, our convictions have been shaped by something. They've been shaped uh, so that we can live out our faith. We can determine what is a clean conscience or an unclean conscience. What, what has shaped that? Think about your positions on different things that are opinion matters. On entertainment, how much is too much or not enough? What's acceptable, what's not acceptable? Leisure, how do you spend your leisure time? What's too much leisure? How much are you lazy? You know, these sorts of opinions, difference of opinion, right? Sabbath day, uh, Sunday, what's allowable? What's acceptable on a Sunday? Drinking alcohol, smoking, overeating, having a scratch ticket, a music genre, instruments in a church, a dress code in a church, dancing, makeup, or masks. Obey the government and when to disobey the government. All, we all have opinions on all of these things. But we must ask, what's the foundation of those opinions? What has convinced us that this is right and this is not right? What has convinced us? Is it tradition? Just the way it's always been. It's all you've ever known. Or was it that you were taught that way? Well, so-and-so taught me that this was right and this was wrong. Maybe your parents, maybe your pastor. Or is it your comfort helps you to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's easy and what's not? Or is it Christ? Is it Christ? Of course, we know that whatever position we hold, whatever opinion we hold on uh, the plethora of issues there are, we should always run it through the filter, the question of does this glorify God or not? But what you must realize is this example in Romans 14 is, is important because both of them would have answered yes. Yes, me abstaining from food glorifies God. And the other says, yes, me eating bacon glorifies God. And so both of them could conclude that. So therefore, that is a good heart check. It means their motivation is in the right place. Is their action right or wrong? Does it matter? Does it matter? Well, what causes you to determine what is clean or unclean? What causes you to determine what is right or wrong, required or suggested? What helps you to determine what is good for you and mandatory for others too? Especially when it comes to matters of opinion. Paul says, for him, what persuaded him was the Lord Jesus. I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Yes, possibly by the accomplishment of Christ, the freedom he out now has in Jesus. But it could also be pointing to the precise example in Mark chapter 7 is one, one of the gospel accounts of it. If you want to turn there, you can read along. I'm going to read a portion of this gospel of Mark chapter 7 where there's this interaction with the Pharisees and some of the scribes who were gathered there. And they had a real problem with Jesus and his disciples because, you know, these scribes and Pharisees were to the letter of the law. And if you got it wrong, boy, you are hated by God was their thought. So in Mark chapter 7, we have this uh, occasion. It says, now when the Pharisees, verse 1, now when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. 
or ceremonially. Holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Uh, And there um, are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to him, them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother will surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you um, would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand that there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he entered the house and left the people, and his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus, in parenthesis, he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. And from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. It's amazing. So there in verse 19, uh, there's that parenthesis that says, Thus he declared all foods clean. Uh, the uh, author or transcriber of this text uh, through all history has determined that this is kind of where people can say, look, Jesus has declared all foods clean by what he just said. It's not uh, what enters the stomach that makes you unclean. So therefore, it can't be food that makes you unclean. So it's not about food. So perhaps when Paul's referring in uh, Romans 14, 14 here, where he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. He could be referring to here back to this example when Jesus said these very things. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the, whether they washed their hands ceremonially or not. It wasn't whether they ate with the right dishes that made them clean or not clean. I love this discussion in, that Jesus has with these Pharisees, right? It, it makes complete sense. And you see their problem. Their problem is tradition. Tradition of the elders. They, they were accusing Jesus and his disciples of not following the tradition of men. Why don't you follow the tradition? And Jesus says, well, that's an interesting way of disobeying God. 
how you just, you know, you want to bring in the elders, you want to bring in just tradition, what you've been taught. And what's crazy is he says, uh, when he's accusing them, uh, uh, in, that Isaiah's prophesied about them, which is crazy. If you read the prophecy in Isaiah, it talks about these being vipers. And then he says, Isaiah prophesied of you well. He says, these people honor me with their lips. So outside, they said all the right things. They did all the right things. They checked the boxes. They did their religion. They had their clean and unclean compass going at all times, and they were always in the clean. He says, they honor me with their lips, with their actions. They honored me, but their hearts are far from me. He said, in vain do they worship me. And here's what made it vanity. He says, they taught uh, like it was doctrine, like it was God's teaching himself, the commandments of men. He says, that was so wrong. They took the traditions of men and, and said, this is what God has said and you must do it. You can't read that and not think of the Roman Catholic Church. They say that their Bible is on par, or sorry, that even the uh, Apocrypha and what the Pope has said is on par and the same authority as the Bible, what God has said. What a Pope has said is equal to power, authority over your life as to what God has said in his word forever. If a Pope declares it, it is as authoritative as if God had said it himself. That's what they say. They teach as doctrines the commandments of men, and he called them vipers. In vain do they worship me. Got to see that. Teaching the commandments of men, teaching traditions of men, teaching this moral compass from the outside, what was just passed down in tradition. He says, they do, by doing that, they make the word of God void. And then he has this great discussion near the uh, verses 18 and 19. Do you see that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart. What makes someone unclean or clean, defiled or undefiled, is the heart. Not the hands. Not the actions. It's the heart. The heart is what makes someone unclean. It's an amazing discussion because he says, uh, what comes out of a person defiles him? And because it's within your own heart, he says, that breeds these different types of sin, evil thoughts and theft and murder and, and coveting. All of these things come from within. He calls them evil things. And they defile a person. So that's why... When Paul has this discussion in Romans 14, he says in verse 14, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. So whatever they partake in, in food or in action, that thing is not unclean. It didn't matter if they ate the dirtiest thing or the most defiled thing or even they partook in the most grotesque thing. That's not itself unclean. So what's going on in the heart when it's partaken in. That's what makes a person Unclean. That's why Paul says it, it's not really a matter. He says these traditions that, that these weaker brothers and sisters are holding on to, he says, like it, it doesn't apply anymore. Even though Paul grew up believing this, living this, following all these cleanliness laws, he says it doesn't apply because of what Jesus has said. What makes you unclean is your heart. So he says the Pharisees followed the letter of the law and they would have followed all the tick boxes about purity. He says, but their hearts were unclean. He says, that's the matter at hand. And it's interesting too because Peter in the New Testament, you know, is also the same uh, Jewish background. And in Acts chapter 10, we have this account. 
a voice came to Peter, says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right? The sheet had come down and there was all this plethora of stuff on there. And it said, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so Peter then was also corrected and said, listen, it's not unclean. This is, it's not about the animal anymore. It's not about those restrictions anymore. It's a matter of heart. These men knew what unclean was and they avoided such things. Deuteronomy chapter 14 is a great chapter if you want to see all the rules about cleanliness. Deuteronomy 14. You see in there the impurity related to human sexuality, uncleanness due to blood, uncleanness connected with food, uncleanness connected with death, uncleanness connected with leprosy, disease, and on and on and on. And so if you read Deuteronomy 14, think like, how are these people not, how are they ever clean is what I read. You know, I was like, I read that and I was like, a woman's never clean, according to the Old Testament. She's always got to have the ceremonial laws to get uh, clean again, seems like every day. Um, and, and men, if they're careful, can be clean, seems like for 24 hours, maybe. But you read that and you think, how much of a burden was it for these people? But some of them did it to honor God. Others did it to honor themselves. And that's the heart of the matter. Paul says, verse 14 again, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. And then down in verse 20, he says it again, um, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is clean. Everything. Now you have to be careful because people could take these two verses, 14 and 20, out of context and say, look, nothing's unclean. Nothing's restricted by God. Everything is okay. Everything's kosher. I'm allowed to do whatever I want, touch whatever I want, involve myself wherever I want. Nothing is unclean or unacceptable to God. Right? I can partake in whatever. And so you have to be careful because the context really matters. You take it out of context here, you're going to apply it to whatever you please. But the context here specifically was food, obviously. Um, and the context that Jesus was talking about was put it in its right frame of mind, was the heart. And so if it's not food, it's a heart matter. And there he said, you know, it's what comes out of the person that defiles him, Jesus said, because it didn't enter his heart. Food doesn't make you unclean. Jesus was concerned about the purity of heart. It was a matter of the heart. And that's why in verse 14, when it says, um, nothing is unclean in itself. And then he goes on. He goes on. It says, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So if your heart says it is wrong without a... a Without any asterisks, it is wrong to consume alcohol. And you consume alcohol, it's unclean. It's wrong. So that's where it's a matter of these, these opinions or conscience. If your heart thinks that it is wrong for a woman to wear pants, and you wear pants, it's wrong. That's what Paul's saying. Because it's a matter of your heart. This check is not about an external list of things. He says, go back to the heart. Well, if you are convinced in your heart that it is wrong, you don't do it. You don't do it. It's not unclean in and of itself. What makes it unclean is the heart and, and your conscience of the matter. And it doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you please because Paul in this entire chapter frames it as if your conscience, it says, well, you know, for example, take women in skirts. If your conscience says it's wrong for you to wear pants, you can't place that on another person. It's wrong. Romans chapter 14 says it's wrong for you to place that on another person. And that it makes you 
unacceptable in your actions. And so don't do that. Always prefer others. And so therefore, that's why it says don't place your convictions on others when it comes to opinions or matters of quarreling. Verse 1 tells us this is what it's about. It's a matter of the heart. What makes these things wrong is the conscience. Is what you have come before God and you have been convinced by a scripture, by the principles in scripture, by the principles of how God wants you to manage X, Y, or Z in your life. And you've come to it. Obviously in this chapter also we understand that some of that understanding is, is weakness of faith. It's an immaturity. And so yeah, it might, you, know, you might be grown up in your faith and have walked through uh, Christian liberty and freedom for a long time and think, oh, that's so pitiful that people are still stuck on that. Um, don't pity them and don't despise them, as it also said in this chapter. Instead, support them, but ensure you don't cause them to stumble while you're trying to present and live out your opinions. <clears throat> Some things we know are right and wrong in Scripture because they're black and white. Sin has de declared it. But there are other things that are technically morally neutral. They, they could be clean, but with the wrong motive, they'd be declared unclean, as Paul said there in verse 14. It's wrong to do. So this is why it's important in our own mind to determine where the convictions come from. Are they in the Lord? Are they for his glory? Or are they just a tradition of man? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, there's this verse that says, there's these people who promote uh, really self-made religion. He says, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so there was people who put all these rules in place and they would abuse their bodies because they thought, no, that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong. And he says, to, to do all the external stuff and stop all the external stuff you want, uh, if you're just doing it to, to people please or you're just doing it for show, he says, that doesn't stop your heart from, from sinning in that. So it, watch your matter of your heart. What's the foundation of it? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 23 and 24, he says this. He says, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. Everything is clean, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And then he says in the discussion, which goes right with Romans 14, is let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So something might be lawful, and you might be allowed to do it, acceptable to do it, drink alcohol, for example, but, but is it helpful? Is it helpful for you? And then the second part is all things are lawful, but it does not build up. Does it build up another person if you're doing this thing? If not, maybe you shouldn't do it, right? And so there is really a frame of mind of why do I do what I do? And why, do I, uh, why am I convinced of this conviction? Points back to Christ. It's lawful because of what Christ has done. He's freed you from the law because he, uh, he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. He already said that himself. He did not abolish it. He didn't say it was bad. He just fulfilled it. So in Christ, what matters before you're standing before God, why God loves you is not because you fulfilled the law or you did what was clean. That's not why God loves you. God loves you because of Christ and what Christ has done for you and how you embrace Christ and live for Christ. And so in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's the matter at hand. If we're trying to think about what is clean or unclean or trying to think what's moral, immoral, you come back to the heart of it all and say, but what honors Christ? Am I honoring Christ? Am I so focused on even doing right and wrong? Am I so feeling guilty because I didn't pray yesterday? 
Or did I think about the Lord Jesus who stands and intercedes for me and the Holy Spirit who's uttering prayers because I didn't know what to say? Where are you thinking you stand before God? Is it because of you and your cleanness? Or is it because of Christ and what he accomplished? That's really what Paul is talking about here is really the heart of the matter. Is it's not about what is unclean or clean. So that's not what he wants to get at. He wants to get at love. And he says it there in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, if you think it's kosher, you think it's fine, you think it's clean, and you eat it, and your brother's grieved by it because their conscience is seared, he says, you're no longer walking in love. So watch what you're doing. Consider others. Because your heart motivation matters, and you want to honor Christ, and you want to honor Christ's people. And so that's what is going to help you to determine, even if this is clean in this moment, Am I going to embrace it? Do I have to embrace it? Or can I uh, put it to the side for the sake of another? And so that's really what Paul wants to get out of this discussion. Paul, amazingly, miraculously, all that he grew up to know as clean and unclean, those categories, he says, it doesn't matter in Christ. In Christ, what matters is what he has accomplished and how I live that out, honoring him and honoring others. And all things will come into place when I know that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it can become unclean if my heart is wrong. It can become unclean if I'm wrong towards another person. It is wrong, verse 20 says also, because verse 20 said, everything is indeed clean, but then it says, but it is wrong for anyone to make another person stumble by what he eats. So Paul, in this discussion of this right or wrong, acceptable, unacceptable, wants us to get to the heart. Wants us to see what it is in terms of what Christ has accomplished and how that impacts what we decide and how we live and how we live in community. Let's pray for help in this area. Well, Father, you are so good to have a law that is perfect and pure, a law that is right and was upheld by Jesus. Thank you for him who on our behalf uh, never wavered never faltered, never fell in the temptation, never sinned against you or against himself or against others. We thank you so much for the love that he displayed to us, the trials he faced, the temptations, and yet he prevailed. And because of that, because he prevailed in life and righteousness, we are declared righteous in him. So when we stand before you, you accept us and you say well done and you say this is my beloved son or daughter because of what christ has done and that um, seems so unfair to us because we know how uh, impure we've been in our thoughts or our actions we know how undeserving we are of your presence and your welcome and your embrace we're so thankful for the lord jesus christ and all that he accomplished for us and pray that we would in our own hearts want to honor him in all that we determine to be true and right and good and acceptable that every decision we make in terms of rightness and wrongness in our own lives and living out our own opinions and convictions we do it in the frame of what christ has said about the matters of the heart and about what we know is the second greatest commandment is loving others um, and so we pray for your help in this we pray you forgive us when we um take our own opinions and just um, dismantle other people and hurt other people with them. Uh, help us to surrender ourselves fully to you and to serving others. We pray this for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.